Hi there, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Listen with Cheryl McKay, coming to you from (laughs) what I've started calling the Big Blue Tent Studio here as I continue to try to set up something that makes good sound for the podcast. It's pretty funny looking. If I get a good picture of it, I'll post it on the website. I know my guest in this episode, Vicki Chow, thought it was pretty funny when she could see it as we were recording. Vicki Chow is a musician whose piano performances have been described as brilliant, virtuosic, sparkling, and feisty. It's a grand collection of words. Vicki has performed in major halls and festivals in about, oh, 40 countries all around the world. Vicki grew up in Vancouver and made her debut with the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra when she was about 10 years old. Later, she moved to New York to study at Juilliard, and there, her musical life changed when she encountered and started performing works by contemporary composers. These days, Vicki lives in New York City and continues to perform and commission new music. She's collaborated with many composers and artists and ensembles, and she is a member of Bang on a Can All-Stars. Vicki will be in Vancouver on March the 28th. She'll be performing Philip Glass's Etudes Book One, which she recently recorded. And you can see online a number of videos of her performing some of the pieces from the Etudes. We had a grand talk about her passion for piano and for new music, and about dealing with some of life's unexpected turns. We started the conversation by talking about her last visit to Vancouver, or one of her last visits anyway, and she was performing a piece by John Luther Adams. And in this part of the conversation, I think you really get a sense for at least some of what really appeals to Vicky about new music and about that almost collaborative composition with the composer. She explained about getting an instruction manual from John Luther Adams and various parts, and then it was up to her to put them all together to create her version of the piece. I got to put the score together in in a timeline, so events and sounds happened according to whatever I had kind of decided. So what do you get to start with then, for example? In, in that particular one, Vicky, when you say an instruction manual. Yeah, so it's almost uh, like you get all the parts, like, you know, all the, I forget how many bird songs there were in that collection, but there there must have been at least like 35 or 40 or maybe even 50 different bird songs, little cells of musical material that John Luther Adams had notated of different birds and f- insects and frogs and compiled them onto, notated them onto a score. So the piece itself is open instrumentation. You know, it could be as many people as you like. I guess my task was to assign which instruments with uh, which bird call. I had to decide when any of these will appear. We said that the performance will be an hour. So I had a clock, you know, set for 60 minutes. And I would decide like, oh, at a minute and 30 seconds, the the morning doves are going to come in, you know, and they're going to play for about two minutes and then they disappear. Overlapped with some particular type of frog uh, in the violas, you know. (laughs) Uh, So I I got to kind of orchestrate in some ways, like deciding what instruments with which which animal. And then also I got to research a a little bit about the birds and like what time of day they come out. So that was fun. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. What, What a project. Who played the morning doves? I think I put it with the strings because there were some glissandos 
And that's easier to do on that instrument. Vicky, that is such a different thing than sitting down to play, uh, you know, a piece by Beethoven. It's such a completely different experience to start with that open-ended, different elements, and in this case, exactly, orchestration. What is it about that that appeals to you as a as a pianist, primarily? I, I guess working on, on a project like that of John Luther Adams, it gave me the freedom without the anxiety of actually notating the notes, like the material is already already there and I just have to construct it. So really, I got to use my chops or my skills as a constructor, thinking about the structure. I have plenty of uh, experience doing that, like playing lots of music understanding kind of how how things flow and how a piece is put together so I got to play in the sandbox a little bit but (laughs) without having to make the material right without having to start from scratch yeah yeah when did your interest I guess in more contemporary music start Vicky um so my journey into new music kind of happened by chance you know so I grew up in Vancouver you know I studied the classics performed you know with the Vancouver Symphony at an early age and So I was really going down that path. You know, I thought I was going to be a concerto soloist and doing recitals, playing the classic uh, repertoire. In 2001, I I moved to New York to go to school at the Juilliard School. And and once I got there, I think that's when I started questioning what I was doing because I realized there's all these amazing uh, musicians here, all these amazing pianists, and we're all playing and practicing the same Beethoven sonata or the same Tchaikovsky concerto. And I, I just didn't understand what all of this is leading up to. Why are we all learning the same repertoire? And there was also a disconnect because, you know, at that time I started really listening to different types of music. I didn't have the connection, like music being written 250 years ago, like there's a aesthetic that's not the same as the current culture, right? So I started really doubting, but I didn't, actually start dabbling in, in new music until my my master's there. Um, I had a friend there who's a composer, and his name is Joe Tian. Now he's like won a Grammy for his orchestral piece a few years ago. It's very successful. But we were classmates, and uh, he ran into the elevator, and, you know, he's Vicky, can you please help me? Like, I have a concert of my music next week, and the pianist is unavailable to, to play. So can you fill in? And... <laughs> One week. I said one week <laughs> up until this point, I've never had so little time to prepare it. You know, in school, you've, you've, you've had months to, to perfect, you know, the sonata. And and so I decided to give it, give it a go. He gave me the score and I opened up the score and I realized, wow, there's this whole other world out there that I didn't know about. It kind of reignited that fire, that, mm. that, that curiosity that I've always had as a child whenever I was learning new repertoire you know, what I was questioning made sense when I opened up this new piece of music. Hearing sounds that I've never heard before and just seeing notation and uses of the piano, like extended techniques that I've never seen before. And that was kind of my my first entryway. Shortly after that, as I was graduating Juilliard, the Manhattan School of Music started a contemporary performance program. So since 2007, I just dove deep into into the deep end of contemporary and new sounds and new music and the rest is history. <laughs> I want I want to go back to a couple mm. of things and one of the things is I'm curious about like you say when you got to Juilliard which is you know the dream of so many young people who are studying and then to have this feeling oh I'm not I'm not really sure why we're all doing this. I'm just wondering 
was that a really dispiriting, like a almost a, a scary time then to think that you were suddenly questioning this this goal that you were achieving at the same time? Yeah, it it was a very scary time. I think it was like kind of my first kind of depressive episode. Like I I remember just not leaving my room and just ordering takeout for like two weeks. Um, just not wanting to do anything. I just didn't understand what was happening, you know, like I thought, you know, this was my dream and, and I just felt completely lost. Like I didn't know where to put my energy and I guess I almost didn't believe in what I was doing in, you know, because it just seemed like it was such a dead end. Mm. You know, I knew that music had to be a part of my life. I didn't want to give that up. It wasn't that like, I, you know, I wanted to change directions completely, but I just didn't know if that type of music was what I wanted to play. And so when I started playing new music and then get, getting to work on pieces of music that I've never heard before and no one else has played, that really played into my my passion for like uh, learning new things and figuring things out on my own, you know, mm. that kind of that spirit of entrepreneurship, it kind of filled that, that deep desire to just keep discovering new things. And, and also, I felt very constricted playing the music of the past, because there has been so many interpretations, it's been overly analyzed, so many recordings out there on how one should play this particular piece by Mozart. And as, as much as it's, it's fun to kind of play dress up, you know, and like play that <laughs> role, I wanted uh, the freedom to explore who I am and what can I bring to the music? What is my voice? Where is my voice in, in this? With new music and contemporary music, when you're playing a completely new piece of music, like the ink is still wet, you know, and you're trying to bring this to life, you get to be that person to you have the freedom to explore mm. and to find the sounds and to, to figure out like, what is it that you want to say? And you can leave your mark on it much more so than the music of the past. And also the, the current music that's outside of the Western classical tradition, because so much now contemporary music, new music is taking, you know, influences from like jazz or pop or rock or electronic music. And so like having an understanding of what that sounds like and the aesthetics of all these different types of music is very helpful. And I think that's very exciting, you know, because the walls and the boundaries are, are have been broken. I'm curious about when your friend in the elevator said, can you help me? And, and you did. And he handed you that composition and you opened it and were surprised, like you said, oh, this is so different. And I'm just wondering, when you played that first piece, what was that like? Did you have that feeling like, whoa, this is amazing. This is so different. Yes, I I remember feeling yeah just completely like I you know had loose loose reins like I had free reign to interpret it the way that I you know understood it and of course it's helpful because you're the composer is there there that that's something I didn't mention is like when you're working with a, a living composer you can ask them questions. <laughs> <laughs> Things that you can't do, you know, if you're, you can't ask Bach or Beethoven, like what they meant there. Um, but with, with someone who's right there next to you, they can give you direct feedback in the moment. You know, you can play it for them. They're like, oh no, do it this way. Or like, you know, phrase it this way or make it softer or balance this out with the other instruments. It's really great. And then if you have questions, that's like, oh wait, you know, I feel like I can't really do this. Like they can make suggestions and, you know, they can even edit things on the spot. Yeah. And, and also like the music, 
that I didn't know about, it, it all kind of, it made a lot of sense to me. Like I was saying how like I felt disconnected with the, the music of the past, but playing music that's written today, it, it makes sense. Like I, I'm living in this world, experiencing the same things as these composers. And so I'm, I'm influenced and I hear things that are around me and I hear it in the music. And that connection is is real versus you know i i can't imagine dancing to like a, a waltz you know by chopin you know, like i that's never happened in my life right like right. In a, that's not that's not what i danced to <laughs> vicky where did piano come into your life how old were you i started piano when i was 5 and i have to thank my sister for that she's 10 years older than me uh, she was the one that wanted piano lessons and she convinced my parents to to get a teacher to come over but to the house and uh, I was five at the time and I would sit in at the lessons at the end of the piano and just watch huh. um, and after the you know they were done with the lesson I would just continue tinkering at the ivories and I was picking up tunes by ear too they asked the teacher like you know can I start lessons as well I'm five and then she said yeah go right ahead like, she's you know she's old enough I kind of ran with it <laughs> yeah I started learning my first concerto when I was seven so you I loved played- it right away I did. I did. It made perfect sense to me. I don't know how. I don't really remember, but I just did. <laughs> Is your sister still playing too? Well, she started later, so she didn't go the performing route, but she did have a studio, like a teaching studio. Like she taught little kids um, and also music history and music theory. The Philip Glass etudes that you're going to be performing with music on Maine when you're in Vancouver. You were mentioning earlier about working with composers who are there, and I understand actually gave you a little pointer on at least one of if not these pieces one of his pieces that you were playing one time I actually had the fortune of meeting Mr. Glass in 2011 2012 or something like that uh, on one of the early Bang on a Can marathons um, Bang on a Can is an organization that I play for uh, in their touring ensemble we're called the Bang on a Can All-Stars as a sextet and I've been a member of that group since 2009 um, and what, one of the things that they do is since 1987 they've been putting on an annual new music marathon it's now become a festival it's not one day now it's like a three-day festival anyways on one of the earlier marathons Philip Glass played with together with the Bang on a Can All-Stars and I got to share a keyboard with him I played next huh. to him the piano forehands I was pretty nervous I, I probably didn't say anything to him I think I was too shy and I was too nervous and starstruck I mean I just kept telling myself oh you know don't mess up don't mess up <laughs> um so that was my first you know meeting with him um and then in 2018 I was invited to uh, the Winnipeg New Music Festival to perform with him and three other pianists the complete piano etudes I thought you know Mr. Glass would probably retire back to his dressing room when he's not playing and then just come out and perform but for the entire evening and it's like a you know good two hour you know two and a half hour show when he wasn't playing he had a chair and he sat on the side of the stage and he listened to all of us perform his pieces and that was so sweet and so kind and so generous of him I thought like you know he really cared you know it wasn't just this other gig for him he also gave us a little feedback as we left the stage and he did tell me that one of them he felt that I could play a little bit slower you know so is I, that I, one of the ones on the recording Vicky yeah it's to number five and did you slow it down a little bit <laughs> I did I did I know that I'm a very impatient person so yeah I could understand where he is coming from about that <laughs> what do you mean you're an impatient person <laughs> 
impatient. <laughs> I want things <laughs> to happen like right away. I, maybe it's like the New York mindset. It, 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 it's interesting to think of that with, you know, being in the middle of a piece and, and just wanting to get through it or something. I don't know. Does it come into play there? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's definitely a test of patience. It's, you know, something slower. And this was always a, a, a comment I had growing up. I remember when I was younger, even when I was playing the piano when I was a kid, I wasn't so good at playing the slow lyrical things. Like I, I was like the that's let's give me something like fast and virtuosic and and fun. You know, I remember trying to learn the Ravel piano concerto, and you know the second movement is like this really beautiful ballad kind of thing, and I could never get it right because it's so slow in my mind. <laughs> so I got bored, <laughs> but it's it's so gorgeous. Like now I listen back and I'm like, oh, wow, it's like the most beautiful piece of music. Do you love the fast ones? Um, as I'm getting older, you know, I can see, <laughs> I can feel my body changing. So huh. I, I'm appreciating the, the the more melancholic and you know uh, reflective ones now. Yeah, that was another thing I was going to mention too. This is when you're playing some new music pieces, where when you're dealing with you know prepared pianos or or other kinds of changes, you're on the keyboard, but you're also in the in the guts of it too, you're on the strings and you're doing different things. It's such a different physical experience. Yes, it's a whole another set of skills. Um, it's pretty common practice now, you know, to to be able to do that. I remember when I first started doing it, it was definitely very confusing. You know, you're used to just looking at the keys, but then also like coordinating, like looking at the strings, they're not marked, you know, so you don't know which notes are which and being able to navigate between the inside and the outside and not lose your balance. Also operate the sustaining pedal and, you know, all, all these different things. It's, it's a balancing act, but just like anything else, it is a skill that you just have to practice and you get used to looking at, at the inside of the, of the piano. It's not so daunting and confusing anymore. Cause like when you first do that, all you see is just lines and lines of strings and you don't know what is, what, it, which is which, you know, there are some pieces sometimes depending on the size of the piano, there are different the, the framing of the inside of piano the, the, and how where the strings cross do change time to time. And also if you're doing prepared piano, um, John Cage, you know, is like kind of the father of like the prepared piano. He did say every piano is different and he understands that. He gives very specific measurements as to where you're supposed to place hmm. each nail or bolt or piece of plastic or rubber along the string inside the piano. But he also writes that, like, he understands that every instrument's going to have different places on the string that's going to sing out more or have a better sound. And he writes that the, the pianist should use their best judgment to create the palette of different sounds, like, from the piano as they're preparing it. And so that's really fun. I remember yes. when I started doing prepared piano, I would walk around looking on the floor, finding nails and screws, and I'd pick it up and put it in my little bag. Might need this. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, just like little pieces of plastic. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I could put that inside the piano. I went into like Home Depot one time and I, one of the composers wanted me to use a, the side of a tile to play, to scrape inside the piano. You know, and I remember going to Home Depot and I was just, I just need one tile, you know, and I'm trying to explain to him I'm going <laughs> to play it inside the piano. And he's just like, okay. <laughs> What's it like then for you to have that whole extra extra colors in the palette to play with. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah, I love it. And it's not just like the prepared, prepared piano or inside piano playing. There's also the use of uh, technology and the electronics. So 
now you get to combine your sounds with all sorts of other sounds that may not sound like an instrument or is just completely electronically produced. It's like uh, flying a plane or something. <laughs> it's just like there's so many elements that you can, <laughs> you you know, you have to think about. Well, it's live electronics, like li- live technology where, you know, I am also controlling, triggering the, the patch to move on to different things. It, it's really scary. And, and, and uh, performing with uh, technology is kind of unreliable. Like there's been a lot of issues during performance sometimes where it crashes. On Music on Main in 2013, I was giving the North American premiere of a piece by Steve Reich. It's called Piano Counterpoint. And I made a version of it where the electronics, the backing track, is uh, completely live. I have a pedal that I would trigger for the tape part to move forward so that I can play along with it. This was paired with also... (laughs) It's a little crazy. It was all David Pay and Music on Main's idea to... (laughs) To pair this with a, a solo piano arrangement of Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring. So I gave <laughs> t- uh, two concerts of this. So the North American premiere of Steve Reich's Piano Counterpoint and my own solo rendition of The Rite of Spring. The very first day of the premiere of the piece, I did my sound check and everything was working fine. Like left my computer on and everything. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to touch this. Come showtime, maybe, you know, because I've left my computer on for so long, as I was giving the premiere of, of this piece, when I like pressed on the pedal for the electronics to move forward, something wasn't lining up. The electronics started phasing, you know, and I, I was playing my part and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? What um, did you do? Well, I stopped. Like, one of, and that's like, horrible, right? Like you're trying to give a performance and you have to stop. That was like the most embarrassing moment, I thought. But I, you know, explained to them what happened and the audience was very supportive and I restarted the computer and redid it and then everything worked fine. It was perfectly fine. And it was interesting because actually that performance sparked another collaboration that I did with a Vancouver composer who was in attendance that night. Um, his name is Remy Sue, and he's like a sound artist, I guess. And he's a composer, sound artist. He's a video game maker. He does all sorts of things, a lot of things to do with technology, things that I don't understand. But a few years after that, he was at that show and he told me like that moment actually inspired the piece that we were working on together, which was about failure. <laughs> but what was interesting for him was because it failed the first time, the second time around when I was there, the audience was even more invested. It huh. was like watching a game and you're just like waiting for someone to score, you know, that excitement. You're like, oh, no, that part's coming up. I wonder if it's going to work. Oh, no, oh, no, no. Oh, yay, it happened. And, and it's working <laughs> perfectly fine. So he, he talked about how he felt like really invested. And he was like rooting for me and rooting for the computer, hoping that, you know, as that moment came up, you know, is it going to click into place and so it inspired him to to make a piece that is about that audience uh, engagement with whether or not the performer is going to succeed that's so <laughs> I, I can imagine that too like you say that edge of your seat vicky besides getting ready for this performance in vancouver what else have you got going on right now so during the pandemic, I actually, uh, you know, since there were no concerts, uh, I decided to go into the recording studio. So the, the Phil Glass Piano Etudes uh, book one are, are one of the results of that. I recorded that during the pandemic, um, as well as another album I released last year, the music of Jane Antonia Cornish. She's mo- mostly a film composer, but I recorded her piano music. 
there was a third project I worked on during the pandemic. It was with the composer Michael Gordon, who is one of the three artistic directors of Bang & Can. During the pandemic in July of 2020, he decided that he wanted to write short piano pieces every day of that month. It's like a passing of time and also some something to, to do creatively. And what we decided on was he's going to send me the music and then I would learn it quickly, make a little video of myself and post it on Instagram. And what was so great was another colleague, friend of his, a choreographer, his name is Brian Brooks, hopped on this idea. So I would post my video and then he would take that audio and he would make a quick choreography to it. So he'd take his phone and he'd go out into the street and there's like no one around, right? Dance to these little short miniatures. And then he would post that online onto his Instagram. So for 31 days, we had this uh, little project going on, the three of us, which was really fun. And of course, then I, I did go into a studio eventually and recorded these. That's kind of the next album that I'm I'm still working on that to get that finished and uh, released into the world. Because now when you think about it, it's like, wow, it's 2023 already. These pieces were written three years ago. They're getting old. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It is crazy. The whole way that time has been, like, it. sometimes it seems like a long time or a short time, but those those years just messed everything up. Yeah, like everything before the pandemic seems like it's 10 years ago or longer. I have no sense of time. My memory is completely, I don't have a memory anymore. Barely remember sometimes what I did last week. And it's so strange. Yeah, I can't yeah. keep track of anything anymore. Yeah, it's been explained. I've heard people explaining it's like that lack of milestones, how we normally mark time with our, our rituals and our, you know, regimens and everything gone. So there was nothing left to kind of hang on to that way. Yeah. And the passing of time is faster for me now, maybe because we were stuck in, indoors for so long that it's like, well, one week is nothing compared to one year, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A you whole know? different measurement system. Yeah. I mean, my life was a lot busier before the pandemic and, but time just seemed a lot slower. And now it's just like, well, it's already March. What's it going to be like, do you think, back in Vancouver, playing these pieces by Philip Glass and, and back on, on home soil, as it were? I'm just happy to be able to to share this new project with everyone in Vancouver. Uh, and of course, I thank Music on Main for having me and supporting me all these years. I'm excited to perform for my parents. I, I you know They're my biggest supporters, and I always think of performing for them every time I, I play. And this time, I think my niece might be there. She just moved to Vancouver from Hong Kong. She's three years old, so uh, huh. I'll be playing for her. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and these etudes, what do you love about playing these? What really connects with you about these pieces? You know, I just realized the other day that what I like so much about these pieces is the fact that I, I feel that I'm able to connect back to like my roots, the, kind of the fundamentals of playing and approaching the instrument through these pieces. I don't know whether or not to talk about this, but I guess like a few years ago, I kind of ran into some mental health scares to the point where I actually had to stop playing. Like it was something I had avoided and I, I guess I neglected um, and I didn't realize how important it was. It was affecting my quality of life. I, I wasn't able to function. And so I, I finally sought help. Through that, it was kind of scary because the way of living for me up until that point was I was had so much energy that I didn't know what to do with and I used that energy to create or make music 
that was my outlet. Playing the piano was my outlet. Once I sought help and those things in my life, the darkness or the, it kind of started lifting, I didn't know where to, to draw my inspiration from. I didn't know where to get my energy from in playing. And up until that point, I was playing a lot of music that had electronics, things that were very technically rigorous, not in the very musical way. You know, it was mostly very physical. Like I said, I really like technical and fast, like fun pieces. And so I ran with it. I, I love those pieces. It's really great. But I was touring a lot with this repertoire. Not just that, but I, I, I see now that it's like I didn't have an outlet to to express myself. Kind of the same feeling as when I was at Juilliard playing the, the music of the past. Like I felt constricted. I didn't feel like I had freedom to to express my feelings. And this was kind of the same feeling. I think like for too long I was playing music that was too constricting, you know, the mental health scare and and so through these pieces I felt like I've been able to heal and it's all, hmm. almost therapeutic because there is n none of those uh, limitations. I mean, they are etudes, they are technical, but they are also very free. There's a lot of space for musicality and, ex and expressiveness that I have found to be just very nourishing for me hmm. to connect with, with myself again and also finding a, another source of inspiration to make music that's not coming from like a very negative, dark space or, or energy in my life. It's still a journey for me. You know, it's only been three years. I'm, I'm constantly still trying to find new ways to to make music that's different from how I was before because obviously that wasn't working like I was right. I hit a wall yeah they tipped over right at some point yeah 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 were you were you wondering if you'd ever play again oh I, I wondered if I would be able to play again actually that was the scary oh. part like I, I didn't know if I would be able to like if it would ever feel the same I actually enjoy performing more now than I did before mm. huh yeah I think uh, before it was, I had a lot of anxiety. Um, I was like depressive and anxious. like, a, And so it gave me too much anxiety, not a healthy amount. <laughs> yeah. So it's fuel on the one hand, but then if you have too much, it, it kills you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how wonderful to have that connection with, with these pieces, Philip Glass's Etudes, to have that connection and to be able to bring that into the performance too, that, that sense of connection and restoration. Yeah, restoration is a good way to put it. Thank you, Vicki. It's just a treat to have a chance to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you for, for having me, and um, it was really lovely to speak with you. I sure look forward to hearing you play when you're here. Hope you can make make the concert. Yeah, and I'd love to meet you in person. I will definitely find a way to sneak up and say hello. Yes, please do. That's my conversation with pianist Vicki Chow. From her home in New York, she will be in Vancouver on March the 28th, performing as part of the Music on Main series. It's at Christ Church Cathedral on Tuesday evening. And tickets are available, of course, from Music on Main. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Listen with Cheryl McKay. I'll be back with you again next week. And meanwhile, if you'd like to be in touch, I'd love to hear from you. Suggestions about guests for the show are always most welcome. And you can send those along to hello at CherylMcKay.com. And you can visit my website, which is simply CherylMcKay.com. Thanks again. Bye for now. <laughs>